I'm not certain, but that may have been the fastest two hours of my radio career. (laughs) Holy cow. Only two games, and yet... This is enough to keep us busy for a full four hours as we usher in the start of a new work week. We're post-championship Sunday, so we're going to let you hear momentarily from the Bengals. You just heard from the Niners, and there's more. We've got plenty of post-game reaction from all four of these locker rooms, both jubilant and devastated. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. That is the dichotomy in sports. That is the contrast, and yet that is why it's so compelling. The emotion, the the way that these teams, whether on the winning side or the losing side, give it absolutely everything they've ha- they have, and only one team can advance. You get to this point, and yes, there are tears. There's tears of joy. There's also... Tears of dejection and disappointment. And I nearly started crying watching Joseph Asai on the bench bawling. Here's an example. And it's two different sports, but I'll, I, I can put it together pretty easily. For those of you who watched the Australian Open men's final that aired early on Sunday morning. It was just finishing up at 6.30 Eastern, so 3.30 a.m. Pacific. When Novak Djokovic closed out Stefano Tsitsipas, he starts bawling, right? He's sitting in his seat to kind of catch his breath after he closes it out, and he's he's already sobbing into a towel. Then he goes up into, this is a guy who won. He just won his 10th Australian Open, his 22nd career Grand Slam singles title, and he's bawling like he, like he lost. Except it's not that. It's the emotion. He gets up into his family and friends box and he collapses. Still crying his eyes out. Utterly exhausted and just collapses in the box. And he won. These athletes very often give it absolutely everything they've got. They're spent. In victory or in defeat. Which is why I hate the narrative and the lazy reaction that the officials determine the outcome of a game. You are insulting these athletes and these players and these coaches who in the moment succeeded or failed, won or lost, but gave it everything they had. Do the officials miss calls? Of course. Generally, they even out. Generally, they balance each other out. They don't have agendas. Sometimes they just miss because they're humans. And I feel like the NFL's done a pretty good job. In fact, sometimes it drives me up a wall with all the replays and the stoppages. But, of course, I'd rather get it right if we had the technology. And yet, sometimes that still doesn't work, right? Because the Eagles hustled up to the line and snapped the ball. Devontae Smith gets away with, what was it, a 30-yard reception that wasn't a catch. The Eagles went so fast, the technology couldn't catch up. It's an imperfect game. And it features imperfect people. But the athletes themselves make more mistakes or have more opportunities that are wasted than the officials ever do. No play, no one play, no one call, not even five or six flags determine the outcome of a game. It's not that simple. I know it's an unpopular opinion. I don't give a crap. I've been this way for my entire career. 
People call me all kinds of names because I won't blame the officials. You don't have to love every call. That's totally fine. But the players are the ones who determine the outcome. And for the Chiefs and the Bengals that went down to the wire, there are examples for both teams where huge plays were wiped off the board because of their mistakes, because of their penalties. Some of them are judgment calls, so you may not agree with the judgment. Oh, well, that's just how it goes. It's a hard-fought game. Fourth time in 13 months, these two teams have gone toe-to-toe, and the final margin of victory or defeat has been three points. In the case of the Eagles and the Niners, people complaining about the officials in that game too. Come on. I mean, are you, what are you watching? Either way, these guys give it everything they have. And we hear the emotion. We see the emotion. In moments, you're going to hear it from Joseph Asai. They deserve the credit for determining the outcome. The credit or the blame, right? Again, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. We're asking you to fill in the blank in the wake of Championship Sunday. The best and worst moments were what? So find us on Twitter, After Hours CBS, or my Twitter, A-Law Radio. And then also on our Facebook page. Language, please. Watch your language. This is this is not a space where you can where we where uh, you can act like Travis Kelsey or Frank Clark or Chris Jones. You can't employ such words. <laughs> That's live TV. There's not a whole lot they can do about it. Although sometimes I secretly think the TV executives love those moments because they tend to go viral and trend on social. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry about that word that you hear every day in the hallways at school. Sorry about that word that you use about 17 times per hour. Oh, whoopsie. Sorry. No, ever. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Disrespect Arrowhead. I mean, the Chiefs waited. I mean, we would have missed out on a ton of comedy and zingers. Had the Chiefs not won, we wouldn't get all this stuff about Arrowhead slash Burrowhead. I want a moment that we don't have, but just, you know, Patrick Mahomes is being sarcastic. Uh, He was addressing the crowd from the, from the stage after the Chiefs had won the AFC championship. And he says, is this thing still called Arrowhead? (laughs) I mean, kind of sometimes it's got another name there too. All right, so on Twitter or Facebook, fill in the blank about Championship Sunday and also our phone number, 855-212-4227. Yeah, it was still tied. 20-20 to in Kansas City. And the final minute would give you whiplash. From the Chris Jones sack of Joe Burrow on third down to the Bengals punting to a Sky Moore who snakes 29 yards before he finally goes out of bounds, gets back to midfield, to the rookie running back, Isaiah Pacheco, who manages somehow to grind out six yards on first down. And then with mere seconds remaining on one and a half legs, one leg, whatever it is, a couple of drastic, I mean, drastic, dramatic, I guess, depending on your perspective, moments that blew up social media to be sure, but also you have to see to believe.
17 seconds left in regulation. 20 to 20 tie. AFC Championship. Third and four, Kansas City at the Bengal 47 yard line. Chiefs out of timeouts. Bengals four man rush. Mahomes trying to buy some time on that bad ankle. Moving to his right. He is now scrambling and he's going to get a first down. And now gets hit late. He gets hit late. He gets hit late. Mahomes gets hit late. It'll be a 15 yard penalty on top of the gain. And the gain should be bound to the 35-yard line. Joseph Asai. He hit Patrick Mahomes after Pat was completely out of bounds. This wasn't even a close call. There was no part of Mahomes that was still on the playing field. This wasn't even a judgment call. In fact, when you hear the Bengals call, actually, why don't we play the Bengals version of this call? You know that as it's playing out and Dan Horde is delivering the play-by-play, Dave Lapham already knows that Joseph Asai cost the Bengals dearly. Mahomes with a deep drop. Now moving in the pocket. Running to the right and running well. He's at the 50. He's trying to run for the first down. He goes out Uh, of bounds. And the Bengals push him after he was out of bounds. Multiple flags are going to tack 15 yards onto this play. Eight seconds left in regulation. And with that penalty, the Chiefs will be in field goal range. Man, I cringed. I winced and, and cringed because that hit was dangerous. Not only did Patrick Mahomes slide and end up on his back, but Osai took out a, a, a guy, a, a member, I don't know if it was a, a member of the NFL personnel or if it was somebody on the sidelines, a camera guy, media guy, I'm not sure. He crashed into another human who was over there and smashed right into the bench where people were sitting. That was dangerous. I'm sure you guys have seen these before in the NFL. That sur- A lot of times the surface on the sidelines is not always covered. It's supposed to be completely covered, but this was kind of, um, it was away and it was back a little bit. And so they're not always covered. And so when these guys are wearing cleats and they're coming at full speed, those, they can get, and they can like slews, they can lo- uh, slews. <laughs> That was a combination of slip and lose. They can slip and lose their footing, a.k.a. slews. They can slews their footing, and their feet can go out from underneath them, and all of a sudden, you got a bunch of guys crashing uh, into a bench. And so that hit was dangerous. Osai knew better. Everybody in the stadium knew that that was a late hit, um, but it didn't make it any easier for him, right? And and he was beside himself. He refused to leave the Bengals' bench. Uh, his teammates were coming over. One of his teammates sat with him for a good five, ten minutes because, and like I said, I felt terrible for him, but it was dangerous. He's lucky somebody didn't get hurt. Um, and just the, the fact that he was taking this all on himself. But I gave him credit because he did speak at his locker after the game. It means the world to me. Um, these guys mean a lot to me. And, um, I, I, we come every day and we work hard for each other. And to know that they have my back is a... Uh, it's extremely, uh, it's giving me peace right now, for sure. I just got to, I got to, I got to learn from experience and um, I got to know not to, not to get close to that quarterback when he's close to that sideline. If, if there's anything that could uh, possibly cause a penalty in a dire situation like that, I got to do better. So Joseph Asai is taking that on himself, but also saying the support of his teammates is giving him peace. So then what happened? How did that late hit happen? I was just in full chase mode, and I was trying to, um, I was trying to push him to maybe um, get him going backwards because I knew he was going for that sideline. I was trying to make him go backwards, get that clock running. But um, I, I didn't know. I, I haven't seen it yet. I didn't know how far out of bounds we were.
So he says he just kind of lost his position on the field. There was a moment on the the Bengals' possession before that where I know Joe, actually, he reminded me of an NBA player who was complaining about a call. Uh, Joe felt like he had a late hit. Again, another judgment call that could go either way. You could say uh, either way. I actually, here's what I think about roughing the passer. We call it way too often. Holy crap. Like, it, most of the things that the the officials determine are roughing the passer, which is a mandate from the NFL, I don't agree with. I think that you see defensive players adjusting how they tackle. I swear there was a moment where, where Burrow was scrambling for 11 yards and a first down where a defender actually stopped short of touching him because he was worried about getting a flag. Like You can see these defensive players get really wary about hitting quarterbacks, especially when they're on the run and you're worried that they're about to slide and, and you're going to hit them the wrong way or at top speed. And so I prefer fewer roughing the passer calls um, as opposed to more. So I never have an issue when, unless a guy gets smacked in the face mask or the helmet, or then, you know, the, that's that's a no-no. Those are head injuries. I don't have any issue with them allowing these defenders to actually tackle quarterbacks um, or if they're already going full speed and they give a guy a shove and he falls over. And that's not roughing him. He's a grown man, for heaven's sake. So I would rather err on the side of fewer roughing the passer calls um, so I felt like they were allowing these these defenses to play a little bit. There were a few moments where there were sacks, and I thought, oh, no, we're going to get a flag. And the first half went really quickly. The second half seemed to slow down to a, sail, a snail's pace because of all of the flags. And actually, I just got this tweet. I do want to address this. I thought about this on my way in, that this would be at least one juncture in the game where people were going to have a major problem with the refs and feel like, some, somehow the two teams in the NFL just allowed them to give the Chiefs an extra second or an extra third down. Remember that sequence where uh, it was third down. The uh, I remember exactly what I think it was an incomplete pass or it was a pass that came up short of the first down marker. And so there it's fourth down. This is actually in the fourth quarter. It's fourth down, and all of a sudden uh, there's this big. This is big, like, brouhaha with the refs, and they're waiting to hear from New York, and they're talking about clocks. So the the head official comes out and says, hey, the, the clock is wrong. we got to reset the clock. We've got to reset our game clock. Start on my mark, blah, blah, blah. And because of the—this is according to the officials. Because the clock was wrong, they had whistled the play dead before Patrick Mahomes took the snap. Now, could we hear it? Hell no. It's it's Arrowhead. It's one of the loudest places in the NFL. One of the loudest places in sports. Uh, and so I have— I get it. It looked weird to give them another third down. But according to the officials, they had whistled the play dead. So unless you have some proof that they didn't whistle the play dead, you can't say that that's the officials just magically and mystically granting the Chiefs another third down. It doesn't work that way. First of all, if they were trying to throw the game, that would be way too overt. And second of all, nobody would let them get away with that. And I know Zach Taylor had a problem with it. I get it. It looked wonky. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. But if the officials did whistle the play dead... Well, then you got to go with that because not everybody may be going at full speed. It just likely wasn't heard by anyone. I know that's what Jim Nance and Tony Romo said too, and I didn't hear a whistle either, but it doesn't mean it wasn't blown. It just means we didn't hear it, and you don't have to like it necessarily, but guess what? That drive went nowhere. (laughs) I mean, ultimately, that didn't turn out to hurt the Bengals. So, yeah, I mean, people get so angry at me because I refuse to blame officials. I feel like that's lazy 
it's lazy. It, it's lazy and it doesn't take into account everything else that happened on the field. I feel for Joseph Asai, but but that was his mistake. And it was dangerous. And could you imagine if the refs didn't call that? Oh, my gosh. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. As for Zach Taylor, I don't know if someone asked him if he was mad. He just looked upset on the sidelines. Of course, you're not mad at your guys. You're just, you're just upset that things didn't work out the way you hoped. I'm just proud of this team. You know, I'm proud of the character of these men, and and this is where your character is going to be tested the most in moments like this when it's fresh and raw. And, you know, you were so close to, to winning an AFC championship back-to-back, uh, going to the Super Bowl on the road. Uh, there's been a lot of obstacles thrown in front of this team. They've knocked them all down, and we just couldn't get past this last one here. And so, again, it's just, you know, we got great character, and, and we want to represent our team and, and our city the right way. It's a special organization. It's a special uh, people leading it, special group of coaches, special group of players. Um, we love representing our, our city and our fan base. And, uh, you know, it's just time to get back to work, and, and we'll be using this offseason to get ready for next year. So proud of your guys, but coach specifically, what about that moment with Joseph Asai? It didn't come down to that. You know, there was a lot of other plays that um, we just missed out on, and, and they made one more play than we did. This is emotional. We worked really hard to get here, and, um, you know, any, any play that people feel like is left out there, you're, you're going to take it hard. And that, that's we want guys like that, that this means a lot to. They care about it, care about their teammates. Joseph, Joseph comes to work every day, man. He loves ball. He loves being a part of this team, and uh, it didn't come down to that point. I appreciate Zach sticking up for his teammate, and he's right. As I said, no game ever comes down to one play, ever comes down to one moment. Uh, The number of missed opportunities for both of these teams, the number of moments that they would desperately want back. And even in the third quarter, uh, well, third, it was sometime in the second half. I think it might have been late third quarter. Uh, I did did tweet this about the Chiefs because I couldn't believe the mistakes they were making, some of them in the form of penalties, but... I tweeted that if Kansas City ends up losing this game, the offseason will be haunted by a couple of critical mistakes and penalties that sparked the Bengals each time. So you had that element for both. And why? Because it's tense and it's tight and there's very little margin for error. Once again, all four times these two teams have played, it's come down to three points. In the last 13 months, you can't be any more even than that. In the AFC Championship... The Bengals win one, and now the the Chiefs win one. We still haven't heard from Joe Burrow, a little more from Patrick Mahomes. In fact, why don't we do a Championship Sunday version of QB News and hear from the four quarterbacks. You can find me on Twitter, Radio. even if you do feel the need to call me ridiculous. It does. It makes me smile. Uh, And then you can also find us on Facebook, and we're asking you to fill in the blank. The best and worst moments of Championship Sunday were what? It is Eagles and Chiefs headed to the Super Bowl in Arizona. We've got two weeks to talk about that matchup. Andy Reid, Jason, and Travis Kelsey. Do you think they'll do a podcast this week? Oh, man, I can't miss that. I cannot miss that. Uh, and then, <laughs> uh, And then also... First Super Bowl ever to be started by two African-American quarterbacks. It's a milestone. It's history. It's worth noting. And as Warren Moon says, they've come a long way. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Hurry back to throw. And it is. Is it tossed? Oh, my goodness. It's tossed. DeAndre Hopkins caught it. Back from under center. Steps back. Throws the fade. Cooper Cup's got it. 
throw. Looking, firing deep for Chase in the end zone. Oh, He's yeah. got it! Yes. Touchdown! Yes. Joe Burrow and the Bengals! Mahomes fires for the end zone, caught! Touchdown, Kansas City! And off to Eckler again. No, Herbert keeps it, end zone, touchdown! Chargers! Herbert with his second of the day. Here's the snap. Josh going to keep it himself and run it again inside the five into the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo! Josh Allen, nine-yard touchdown run. The Bills respond and then some. It's time for QB News on After Hours. We love our quarterbacks. For better or worse, they get way too much of the credit and they absorb far too much of the blame for everything that goes wrong. Uh, it is still our obsession in football. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Championship Sunday through the eyes and in the words of the quarterbacks. We'll begin with Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs. All week long, he was rehabbing his ankle. And there were times late in the game where he wouldn't even step on it uh, in between plays. He was limping. He was walking funny. He was even running uh, kind of awkwardly. But still, a Patrick Mahomes on one leg or one and a half legs is better than the majority of the quarterbacks in the NFL. We got to see his toughness yet again. Certainly, he knew going into the game that he wasn't going to be able to elude pressure and to have that same explosiveness and escapability that he's used to. I didn't expect to be able to run very much um, just from the way it felt, but uh, the training staff, Julie, did a great job of uh, getting me enough range uh, and mobility that I was able to protect myself. And at the end of the game there, I had to run to to get the first down, and it got us into field goal range. So uh, uh, credit to them. And then uh, just trying to stay on it, and uh, we have two more weeks, so we got to keep doing it. Didn't have that burst that I usually have, so... Um, I got the ball out of my hands quickly. I think you saw that. I threw a few, probably a few more check downs than I usually would throw um, and relied on my teammates to make the plays happen, and that's what they did. Yeah, he got rid of the ball a lot more than you ever see from him. He took the out. He took the easy check down more than you ever see from Mahomes. He's one of those guys that rarely gives up on a play or takes the easy way out, and so it was not the same Patrick Mahomes. He does have two weeks to continue to rehab, plus the travel to Arizona. So that's good news, because you want him to be fully healthy. Also, he mentions that late run. Oh, yeah, just happened to be a third and four as Mahomes is scrambling, hobbling around to the right for five yards and the first down. I tried to do whatever I could to, to, to win, and obviously there was times where you could see that it wouldn't let me do what I wanted to, but uh, I was able to do enough in that last play to get the first down and, and, and get myself out of bounds and try to give Harrison a chance to win, and uh, obviously we got the flag, and he pushed me <laughs> pushed me pretty late there. Pure grit. He and Kels. Um, but for Pat to do what he did and then to have that run at the end, uh, I can't say enough. He, he is the MVP in my eyes. He gave me no opportunity to not think that he wasn't going to play. I mean, he he didn't, never missed a snap. And um, I, I just, uh, our, our players, our team, coaches, we're all lucky to have him in that position and the mindset, that, that whole mindset. So it carries over to everybody. I mean, you know, there's no question he was going to play. Mm. Burrowhead, you say, right? Well, they maybe didn't say much about it in the days leading up to this game. But once... They were done. Travis Kelsey had plenty to say. And per the usual, uh, he's going to support his quarterback, even if that means interrupting his conversation with Tracy Wolfson on CBS. I want to thank God, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Burrowhead, my ass! Yeah. <laughs> Woo! It's 
Mahomes house. Uh, all right, Travis's endorsement. Burrowhead, my ass. This is Mahomes' house. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. In the other locker room, Joe Burrow disappointed. 26 of 41, 270 yards, a touchdown, but also had a couple of interceptions. And boy, was he under duress the entire game. Five sacks, three of them in the first quarter, another dozen QB hits for them to come up short by just three points. I feel great about the direction that we're headed. Uh, That's the great thing about the NFL. It's not... It's not college where you only got four years. You got as many years as you want to, hopefully. Uh, so we'll come back, have a great off season, and and get better as a team, get better individually, and and come back next year ready to go. I tell you what, he has got some kind of a killer instinct, and we all know about Joe Cool and how he thrives under pressure. Those third and super long plays, it seems like those are his favorites. You ratchet up the heat and the degree of difficulty, and he is masterful. But the offensive line did not perform as well in this game as it did against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, The Chiefs, Frank Clark, Chris Jones were able to make him extremely uncomfortable. The Bengals were only one for three in the red zone and really had no run game to speak of. These games are never going to be pretty. You just got to find ways, and, you know, it felt like that that was, you know, the tide was turning our way. It felt like we were going to, you know, just find a way to win this game, but, you know, like I said, didn't make the plays down the stretch. So the AFC Championship this year goes to Kansas City. It's the Eagles who end up surviving the Niners. I know their quarterback issues, but that defense and the Eagles played this perfectly. And the second year with Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni, they are headed to the Super Bowl. Jalen's not going to get too excited yet, though. But I know the job isn't done. So um, I never, I never always knew how far we'd come. I never knew how far we'd go, but I never said it couldn't be done. You definitely can't say that it's impossible or cannot be done. His third year, by the way, so Nick Sirianni's second year, his third year um, started every started all 15 games that he played in and was an MVP candidate for the most part uh, until he wasn't out there on the field late. But yeah, Jalen Hurts, he rewarded the faith that the Eagles had in him this season. Uh, As for the Niners and their quarterbacks, well, Nick Sirianni felt terrible after the game. Uh, Of course, not trying to hurt Brock Purdy or Josh Johnson. Uh, And no one's going to feel sorry for you, uh, except that to have two quarterbacks knocked out of the game, of course, Sirianni was going to be asked about it. You want to try to make the quarterback feel as uncomfortable as possible. Um... With everything, what you know, whether that's the fans and making it loud, whether that's disguising the coverages, or whether that's hitting them, and you don't ever want anybody to, you know, to get dinged or, or, or get hurt. And I'm hope he's, I hope he's okay. But it did, it definitely did change the game. Um, you know, but those guys' jobs to hit the quarterback affect the game, and they, they sure did that today. Oh, Hassan Reddick, he was as masterful as Chris Jones for the Chiefs. Hassan was always in the face of either Brock Purdy, where hit his elbow and, of course, caused that UCL sprain. Uh, but also, he was after Josh Johnson. I mean, this guy was everywhere. He's flying to the football and flying to the quarterbacks. Uh, and so, good for him for the way that he played. Uh, the injury is just a part of the game, unfortunately. 
And still, Brock Purdy cared more about his teammates afterwards than he did about his injury, which really impressed me. Now, Kyle Shanahan heard it from Brock Purdy there in the first quarter that he couldn't go. And man, uh, talk about having to scramble quickly. I don't think we were numb. I think, I mean, guys were up for the challenge. You know, I thought our defense was playing real well. You know, I, we felt Josh was going to go in there and execute our plan and give us a chance. You know, my arm just felt like it stretched out. Um, just felt like really a lot of just shocks all over from my elbow down to my wrist, front and back. Um, just pain, really, all over. We uh, get an MRI tomorrow. Um, you know, it, it is a little swollen in the forearm area near the elbow and um that's all i know man it's uh still in pain obviously but just got to get the mri tomorrow so that happens on monday right now the eagles believe it's a ucl sprain but he was unable to grip the ball or really throw it with any type of force and so even though he finished the nfc championship all he could do was hand off and by the time they got early in the third quarter uh, there was no way they were going to be able to score enough points to catch up to the eagles after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. A little more about Brock Purdy, and this comes from his teammates. So Fred Warner responding to Brock being so sad and disappointed for not himself and his injury, but the veterans in that San Francisco locker room who fell short of a Super Bowl. He ain't got nothing to be sad about. You know, he's the one, he's the reason we even got to this game. When Jimmy went down against the Dolphins, like we didn't know what our season was going to be, you know, um, came in and did a heck of a job he's the reason we're here right now here's an older teammate who doesn't know how many more opportunities they'll have and the Niners have faced some disappointment right last year a couple of years ago and yet this is leadership this is what it looks like this is what it sounds like Fred Warner is lifting up and encouraging a rookie teammate he doesn't need to do that but he wants everyone to know that we wouldn't even be here. We wouldn't be in this position to play for an NFC championship if not for Brock Purdy. So he has no reason to be sad. He's the reason we're here. Man, speaks volumes about Fred's character, but also about the fact that he is a leader in that locker room. And one more, too. George Kittle, all passion, all fire. I'm not sure anybody has more fun playing football, but it also means he takes everything extremely hard. How's that feel to lose in the NFC Championship game because I don't have a quarterback? Pretty shitty, to be honest. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I think he speaks for a lot of Niners fans and probably Bengals fans too. In the throes of losing, it does tend to feel bleepy, if you know what I mean. The best and worst moments of Championship Sunday. There were some really amazing moments. It's not all negative. It's not all injuries. It's not all... You're ticked off about a call that went your way or didn't go your team's way. Now, there's some really amazing plays made. How about uh, T. Higgins rising up in the end zone to catch a perfectly thrown ball uh, by Joe Burrow and using his size and his athleticism to, to catch that. Jamar Chase with a couple of incredible receptions, too, and it seemed like every single one of them was on third and long. Uh, Chris Jones and the way he got to the quarterback, nobody can take that away from him. Or how about if you're talking about the Chiefs? Uh, yes, a Patrick Mahomes and a Travis Kelsey and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who felt like they were the only three targets. Out, those are the only two targets out there. For a while, it was like the three of them. That's, that, that's it. They only had the three of them uh, to be able to get anything done. 
And in the NFC Championship, the dominant running game, Miles Sanders with two touchdowns, another 150 rushing yards for the Eagles. And for the Niners, there were some positive plays, too. I love that they left everything on the field, even when they knew the the odds were so meteorically. Met- <laughs> I don't even know if that's the right word. They were so astronomically. There is another thing, something else from space. Astronomically stacked against them. They still went out there and played as hard as they possibly could until the very end. So there's a lot of moments to like. I mean, not to mention some humor and the stuff you see on the sidelines. But... Can we stop with the Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance were laughing about what was happening with the quarterbacks? I don't know what they were talking about, but come on. If you guys really think that no one ever smiles or tells a joke or tries to keep it light on the sidelines, even when things are going badly, yeah, they got caught in a moment that makes it look like they're having a grand old time. I'm sure that was not the case. Although a picture is worth a thousand words. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. The Philadelphia Eagles. On second down, the give goes to Sanders up the middle. Touchdown! Miles Sanders, six yards, Eagles lead. Offensive line, a phenomenal job. The center, Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson off that left side. An unbelievable job of parting the space for Miles Sanders to go into the end zone. It is second down and five. Ball at the 13. Hurts gives it off against Sanders. Five into the end zone. Kelsey. Jason Kelsey. What an unbelievable job. Kelsey, Jordan Mailata off that left side. You can see the alley created on the left side, and Miles Sanders just uses his speed to get the ball into the end zone. I had to get mine. I had to had to get my respect. I had to earn it. Um, I demanded it this year, and that's that's one of the th- main my main goals, uh, silent goals that I really didn't want to tell everybody, but I, I wanted to demand respect and um, do whatever I can to help this team get to a Super Bowl. I promised that when I first got drafted here, and we here now. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Miles Sanders wanting to get his, and boy, did he. Not a lot of yardage for him, but two touchdowns and the 42 yards. And so, Miles Sanders, Jalen Hurts, Boston Scott, four touchdowns on the ground. Three against the Giants, but a lot of people pointed to what? The Giants' defense. Not going to happen against the Niners defense. And do you guys remember, if you were listening to my conversation with John Kincaid, a longtime friend of mine, but also Philly radio host for 97.5 The Fanatic, he joined us last week. Now, his prediction, his bold prediction, was that the Eagles would have 17 points at halftime and that they would go big, as in throw the ball through the air. Like, deep, take the top off the defense, that kind of thing. Well, initially, they had that bomb to Devontae Smith, which should not have counted. But for the most part, they ran the ball. Without that throw to Devontae, and the ball hit the ground. So, again, there was no replay. The Eagles hustled up to the line. They snapped the ball. It was a moot point at that juncture. Without that, Jalen doesn't even have 100 yards passing. Yards were hard to come by. So John and I were both right. I thought the Eagles would, in fact, play the ball possession game, the ball control game. They were 15 minutes heavier with the football than the Niners. Now, granted, the Niners were having trouble extending any kind of drive, but point is the Eagles 
they did, in fact, use the ball control. They did not throw the football a lot. And later in the game, didn't really need to. They can flex their muscles. That offensive line is so good. So you get four rushing touchdowns against the Niners' defense. Three rushing touchdowns against the Giants. Amazing dominance. What can they do against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl? That will be the question. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Jay found this, I guess you could say it was an exchange with a reporter, and Jimmy Ward, who was the one defending Devontae Smith when that first ball was thrown uh, that the Eagles got credit for the catch. Did it look, did it? Was it incomplete? It was? So you telling me they hit me with a P.I. that was a good play and they said he caught the ball? Oh, man. Oh, I had a good game there. Hey, man. Jimmy Ward, man. Play nickel good and I play safety, man. Y'all already know what time it is, man. <laughs> so he was defending on that ball that should not have been a catch and he didn't know about it until after the fact. You're telling me that was not a catch? I'm stunned. I guess I thought that would have made it up and down the Niners sidelines except Brock Purdy got hurt pretty quickly after that so they were otherwise preoccupied. Jason Kelsey tweeted after the game. Here I'm going to find it verbatim just because it's funny because he was going to be a huge Chiefs fan. He was going to wear his Chiefs gear during the AFC championship. But then once the Chiefs made it into the Super Bowl to face the Eagles, he tweeted, officially done being a Chiefs fan this season. (laughs) Oh, by the way, it's only been liked 143,000 times. Holy crap. (laughs) Anyway, that's more uh, than he has followers. But yes, it's called the Kelsey Bowl now. And he, just a few hours ago, Tweeted, new news. First time that two brothers will face each other in a Super Bowl. And that means athletes, of course, because the Harbaugh brothers faced each other going back to the 2013 Super Bowl when it was the Niners coached by Jim and the Ravens coached by John. There are a lot of firsts in this game already. We'll have two weeks to talk about those. So, yeah, for the Eagles, for the Niners, this was... Ultimately, not a a game in which there was a lot of balance and it was close to the end. That is part of the game, though. It is something you have to deal with. It's a war of attrition this time of the year. And you could see that with the Chiefs, right? They're down three receivers who are questionable to return. Seems like Mahomes is running out of targets. The, the Bengals, their offensive line is using three guys that didn't play the majority of the season. So there's a lot. There's a lot uh, uh, a lot of ways that you could say injuries affected these four teams, and yet it's survive in advance. (laughs) Zach Taylor is going to be having nightmares about Chris Jones, though, because he was in the backfield every five seconds. They do a good job with their packages. They make it really difficult. He's a great player. Um, He's an all-polar player. He's a defensive MVP type of player. Um, He stepped up really big in these moments today, and and you got to give credit to him. we got a lot of respect for him. Um, and he made some big plays today. Steve Spagnolo, that defense for Kansas City. who they were ready to go. Speaking of coordinators, and this is a defensive coordinator job, but according to multiple sources out there, 
Former Broncos head coach Vic Fangio will be going to Miami to join Mike McDaniel's staff as their D.C. And that's how he's made a living essentially for 40 plus years in the NFL. He is a brilliant defensive coordinator. He did not coach anywhere this season after Denver fired him last January to hire Nathaniel Hackett. I'll see you later. (laughs) So he's got a new job, which is great news. And also Kellen Moore. I have no doubt that he will get a new job very quickly because in his four years as the OC for the Cowboys, their offense ranked inside the top 10 three of those years. But Mike McCarthy said in a statement on Sunday night that the Cowboys and Kellen reached a mutual decision to part ways after they went through the review process and discussed it. So now Kellen Moore is going to be out looking for jobs. And the word on the street is that Eric Bieniemy is likely to take a different job once the Chiefs are done, too. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio.